thankful to be here this evening. Certainly enjoyed the, the singing and the prayer that was lifted up. You all are so good at singing. I think you may just want to cancel that singing school. Are you sure you need one? Fantastic. Man, no, go ahead and have the singing school. You'll get even better. That'd be good too. Um, if the Lord... If the Lord has impressed my mind like I think he has, I'd like to spend uh, the next few days defending the bride of Christ. I don't like when people uh, pick on the bride of Christ, do you? I don't like when they say things about the bride, about the church, that isn't true. And I've heard people say all kinds of nasty things about the bride of Christ and Christianity. I've heard them say that uh, Christians are homophobic, that they're uh, racist. Uh, that they're feminists, that they're exclusionary, that they're not welcoming. And you know what? According to the Scriptures, you know that's just not true. That's just not true. And we're going to go over some things, and uh, I want to look at groups of people. Is that okay with you all? Uh, you know, I don't want to offend anybody, but I want to look at some, some groups of people in the Bible because uh, the Bible does separate people by groups, and that's okay. And, and I want to look at some of these groups, and... and uh, going from here to Sunday, the groups are going to get smaller. And uh, today, I, if the Lord would be with us, I want to look at the Jews and the Gentiles uh, to start off with. Uh, the Jews in the Old Testament were obviously God's chosen people, correct? Uh, God uh, loved the Jews and he chose them and he, he separated uh, the Jews from all other people. He revealed himself to the Jews. He gave the Jews his uh, law, and they were a very special group. And in Isaiah 45, verse 4, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and it says, For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect. You know, God elected these people. God is a choosing God, and God chose Israel. God chose the Jews. He goes on to say, I have called them by thy name, I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. You know what I love about that verse? On one hand, it is talking about the Jewish people, but then it's also pointing to God's elect children, to God's elect family of God. And he says here that I have surnamed thee. You know what that means? That means that he has given them a last name. And what a last name does is a last name shows relationship. I'm a Blanchard. My kids are Blanchards. And guess what? They're my family, correct? It's not a hard concept. And God says here that I have surnamed thee. I have given you my last name. There's a relationship now here. And he says here, though thou hast not known me. Isn't that something? When we have a large group of, of uh, the Christian world that will go out and say that you have to go out and, and get related to God somehow, you have to do this and that and the other. But God's clear here in this verse that he says, I have given you relationship to me even though you didn't know me. Isn't that something? But here we see that God has indeed separated a group of people called the Jews. However... If we turn with me to the book of Exodus real fast, I want to point out to you some very uh, interesting scripture. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 48. Well, what about those who aren't Jews, that weren't born Jewish? 
What about those folks? Are they just completely cast off? I don't think so. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 48 says, And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee, and will keep the Passover to the Lord. Oh, this is a stranger. This isn't a Jew. This is a stranger that is going to keep the law of God. Let all his males be circumcised. You have to do what the Lord wants you to do if you want to follow him. You know that's still the case today? And I, and I hope you don't, you don't take me wrong for my opening there. But there are certain moral expectations that God has on his people. And, and right here we see some of those. Let all the males be circumcised and let, let uh, him come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. One law shall be to him that is homeborn and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. See, these people have a way of getting in, don't they? It seems that way, doesn't it? Thus did all the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. That's an interesting rule, isn't it? He's saying here, if there's a stranger that wants to follow me, he certainly can enter in if he does the things that are listed here. So should it surprise us? That as the people Israel went into the promised land and they conquered Jericho, that there was a little girl who had caught herself up in some bad things. She was a prostitute and her name was Rahab. And she was behaving in inappropriate behavior. But you know what? The Lord used her to save the spies that went in. And when it was time to conquer Jericho, what did the Lord do? Spared her life. Spared her life and spared the family's life. Was that Rahab a Jew? No. Rahab was a Gentile. And should it surprise us? I don't think so. Because we already have indicators that the Lord was going to work in the Gentiles. And you know why he was eventually going to just work him in? Because the Jews who had been blessed, they had been given every advantage, have they not? In Romans chapter 3, they did have an advantage. Why? Because they had the oracles of God. They had the law of God that was given to them. They had a great advantage. And you know what they did? They just blew it. They blew it. Time and time again, they just could not follow the law of the Lord who eventually came to a point where God just said, I'm done with you. And the Lord began to cut Israel short. That's what the Bible says. And there was 400 years of silence without hearing from the Lord uh, for the Jews. So should it surprise us that Jesus would say in Luke 4.27, and many lepers were in Israel. You all see that? Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. There were many Jews that had leprosy, but the Lord cleansed Naaman, the Syrian, the Gentile, of his leprosy. Should it surprise us? Should it surprise us that Ruth, who was a Moabite, would get hooked up with Boaz, who is a a type and shadow of Jesus Christ, and that she and Rahab the harlot would both wind up in the lineage of Jesus Christ? Isn't that amazing to you? 
It's amazing to me. So is God as exclusionary and, and, and racist as people say that, that he is? I don't think so. He's not. He's not at all. So let's turn over to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah, and you'll notice that as you go through the Bible, the Lord starts to work in this time and time again. And as you get closer to the New Testament, he begins to be stronger with this point that he's making. Isaiah chapter 11. And we're going to start in verse 1. <coughs> Isaiah 11 and verse 1. It says, and this is a very interesting verse. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch, capital B, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. You know who that, that's talking about right there? That's talking about our Lord, Jesus Christ. It says, uh, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. If you go to the last chapter of Revelation, you see a, another interesting verse where Jesus describes himself as the root and the offspring of David. Now, Jesse was David's father. So he's actually the root and the offspring of Jesse as well, if you want to take it that way. And, um, you know, when you consider your relationship to your parents and my relationship to my parents, I am the offspring of my parents. I am not the root of my parents. You know, that's impossible. <laughs> that's impossible for us, isn't it? I cannot possibly be the root and the offspring of my parents. Yet Jesus says this, that he is the root and the offspring of David. That means he was before King David and he was after King David. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Jesus Christ, my friends, simply has always been and he always will be. And we see that again here. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. You know that's what Jesus Christ has to offer for us today? He has to offer to us wisdom and understanding. And how often do we search for those two things somewhere else? How often do we turn on Dr. Phil and try to get a little wisdom and understanding? You know, don't do that. Don't do that. How often do we turn to someone who's, who's can I just say it this way, who's just as dumb as we are? They're just as dumb as we are, and we turn to them for wisdom and understanding. You know, that's not a wise move. If you need wisdom, and if you need understanding, you need to turn to Jesus Christ, because he has it. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. How often do we not even get counsel from anybody? And we jump into decisions, and it ends up being a complete disaster. Have you ever done that? I have. I have. You know, we need to get counsel. That's what the Lord is here for. Go to Jesus Christ. Enter boldly into his throne room in prayer and look for counsel. Come out to the Lord's house. Talk to your pastor and the deacons and the other, and the other congregants here and get wisdom and get counsel. And that brings might. And Jesus Christ says all that. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Who is more knowledgeable than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? The smartest man you could, you could throw out there, Einstein, doesn't even compare to the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't even compare. He's got it. So if you want wisdom and if you want understanding, if you, want, uh, if you need counsel, if you want a, some, some strength into your life, you need to go to the Lord Jesus. 
and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Don't we fall short of that sometimes? Don't we? We look at someone and they might not look exactly the same that we do and we end up judging them. You know, we shouldn't be like that, my friends. If you see someone that, that, that doesn't look like you or doesn't act like you, it's okay. They may very well be a child of God. And you know where a child of God needs to be? In his church, in the Lord's church. And if you see someone that doesn't look like you or sound like you, that's okay. Invite them to the Lord's house. To come hear the gospel preached. The Bible is clear that God has a people under every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. You know, it's okay to invite black people to the church. It's all right to invite a, a Spanish people and, and, and Asians to the church. Go ahead and invite them. They may be children of God, and they may need to hear exactly what you get to hear every Sunday. Boy, we have a lady at the, at the church. The Winter Garden's a funny, funny group. It's a strange group, I tell you what. And I tell it's true. The more diverse you get, the, the more problems you have. That's, that's the truth. Well, I invited a, a black lady to church that I used to work with, and she came. Can you believe that? She came. And she loves the gospel. And she'll give you an amen, and she'll, she's just excited to be there. And we love her. Her name's Edra. And you know what? Edra invited her husband, and her husband joined the church. And then they invited another one of there, and then she joined the church. You see how that works? But you've got to be willing. You want revival, you want growth, you want excitement, you got to be willing to invite people to come to church and those that don't look like you or sound like you. And that might be hard, but that's, what, that's how Jesus is described here. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with uh, equity the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Does God sound like a weak God here? No, he's a powerful God. He's a powerful God. He says he's going to slay the wicked, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. That's where the strength of Jesus Christ lies. You know where it lies? In his righteousness. The fact that he came down from heaven and took on a human body and lived a perfect, pure, and holy life. His whole life was lived in righteousness. And in his righteousness is where his strength came from. And because of his righteousness and his holiness, he was able to go to the cross and pay for your sins and pay for mine. And now you and me, my friends, are going up to glory based on his righteousness, his holiness, his strength. Praise, the God, praise God for it. And his faithfulness as well, which is also mentioned. Because our God is a faithful God. Even when we believe not, he abides faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You know, the work that he did on the cross is not contingent based on what you do, your faults and your failures. It cannot be affected. Why? Because God is faithful. And that's where his strength lies. The agreement was made between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Ghost before the world began that Jesus would come to earth and die for sinners. Isn't that something? That's where his strength is. It's in his righteousness, and it's in his faithfulness. Isn't this a great description of the Lord Jesus Christ? Fantastic. Though, now, now listen to this. It's getting strange here. Listen to this. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. 
Oh, that's uncommon, isn't it? And the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. He's saying here, when Christ comes, when Christ comes, things are going to be different. And a better day is coming for the Gentiles. A better day is coming for the Gentiles. He says here, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. You know, when you think about wolves in the scripture, those who would like to tear apart the Lord's flock, who do you think of? Because my mind goes right to the Apostle Paul. Remember the Apostle Paul, what he was doing? He was a wolf, if there ever was one. He was going from town to town, persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. And God struck him down on the road to Damascus. And he said, go preach to my lambs. And the wolf and the lamb joined together. Isn't that amazing? That's what happened when Jesus Christ came. So many strange and unusual things. And the cow and the bear shall feed, and their young ones shall lie down together. And the lions shall eat straw like the ox, and the sucking child shall play with the hole of the ass. And the weaned child shall put his hand upon the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy all, nor destroy in all my holy mountain. I believe that's talking about the church. For the earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord and the waters cover the sea. This is an exciting time. Things are going to be different when Christ comes because there's a better day coming for the Gentiles and there's going to be rejoicing and there's going to be safety in the holy mountain. There's going to be rejoicing and there's going to be safety in the Lord's church. And there is. When the church is doing what they're supposed to be doing and they're coming out to worship and you all are of one mind, and of one accord, and you're putting all your trust and all your hopes in Jesus Christ, there is safety in the church. There's safety in the church. And we need safety, don't we? This is our refuge. This is our refuge from that wicked world. It's getting darker, isn't it, my friends? It's getting darker and darker and darker. So you know what you and I have to do more of? We need to come out to worship. We need to come and, and be around the Lord's people because it's a place of safety in the holy mountain. In Mount Zion, in the church of the living God, there is safety in his house. Now, let's get back to these Gentiles in verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign uh, of the people. You know what that means? That means standard. That there's a standard coming to the people. Jesus Christ, my friends, is our standard. He is our standard, and He's who we should be looking to and following and striving to be. He is the standard. To it shall the Gentiles seek. Hold on a second. I thought, I thought the gospel and the law and the good news was only for the Jews. I don't think so. You know why this is such good news? Because unless you're Jewish, you're a Gentile. <laughs> this is good news for you and me. And he's talking about Jesus. And he's saying this, Jesus, the Gentiles will seek. And his rest shall be glorious. Do you all long for rest? Do you all long for satisfaction? Do you want contentment? Well, I'm telling you, the only place where you can find true contentment is by following Jesus Christ. That's it. 
All the other things that this world has to offer, all the things that this world will will tempt you all with, I hope the young people are listening because you're going to get a lot of temptation out there. And the middle-aged people still get a lot of temptation. And the older people still get a lot of temptation. Guess what? It never ends. And all of that stuff, if you partake in that, that sinful behavior, it will give you satisfaction, but only for a brief while. And it will come with a consequence. If you decide to follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He will give you a satisfaction that is never-ending. Where you can clearly be content and rejoice in what the Lord has done for us. He'll give you rest. But in Hebrews, you know what it says? It says, uh, therefore let us labor for that rest. I love that verse too, brother. (laughs) It's so interesting because it says, if you want this rest, if you want this peace, if you want this contentment, guess what you have to do for it? you got to work at it. (laughs) So if you really want rest, you got to, You have to work to rest. And that's what he's saying here. And it's a glorious thing. And it shall come to pass in verse 11. In that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. Which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations. He's setting up a standard for every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue. And shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together, and disperse the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Is that clear teaching or what? That look, the gospel and the law and and the good news is no longer just going to be for the Jews, but it's going to be for everybody. From the four corners of the earth, for all of God's children, they're going to come. They're going to be brought forward and they're going to worship just like the Jews should have been doing. Just like the Jews should have been doing. Well, let's go to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42. In another prophecy of Christ, it says, Behold my servant. You know, that's what Jesus was to the Father, a servant. He said, I came to do the Father's will, whom I uphold, mine elect. You know, that's the second time we've read that word today, elect. Some people don't believe in the elect. Well, do you know that Jesus Christ was elect? Jesus was chosen? To do the Lord's work, in whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. You mean the Lord is going to have a care for the Gentiles? You bet. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Don't you love the ministry of Jesus Christ when you read through the Gospels? He didn't go around trying to make a spectacle of himself. He just did what the Father wanted him to do. And he taught, and he preached, and he'd preach in houses. And when the house would begin to get full and the crowd would grow too big, he would go onto a ship, and you know what he would do? He'd keep preaching. He'd keep preaching. And he didn't make a spectacle of himself. He wasn't out on the street corner trying to get attention. He was just doing exactly what he was supposed to do. Isn't that a good example for you and me? 
I don't have to go out there and try to try to save souls or bully people into coming to the church. I could, I could just do what I'm supposed to do and tell people about Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to go out and tell people about Jesus Christ. Tell them what the Lord has done for you. Give them your testimony. It doesn't have to be extravagant. Just tell the truth. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged. You know, we don't serve a God who fails. Have you ever failed? I have. Have you ever looked up to somebody that has failed you, that has let you down, and maybe you have gotten discouraged at that? Well, I'm here to tell you this evening that we do not serve a God that fails. Jesus Christ is not a failure. And when Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died there and he yelled out, it is finished, you know, that's exactly what it was. The work of salvation was complete. It was completely over and completely done. And Jesus Christ declared it from the cross that eternal salvation is finished. It's a done deal. Are you saved by works? Yeah, you're saved by the works of Jesus Christ, not your own. You're saved by the work that he did on the cross. The only reason that you can believe is because the work that he has done in you. The only reason you can do good works is because he dwells within you. Do you know without Christ dwelling within you, you can do nothing good? Do you know without Christ dwelling within you, you are nothing and I am nothing? Isn't that something? So anytime we do anything good, anytime anything good happens in our life, we owe all that credit to the Lord. Oh, when you really just get down to the truth of the scriptures, this life is just not about us, is it? It's just not about us. It's about him. Put him first. Put his children second. Put yourself last. And you will find contentment. You will find rest for your soul. Thus saith God, the Lord, he that created the heavens. Do we ever, you ever forget that? That God created the heavens? He created this atmosphere, this beautiful atmosphere. You, go, you know it's beautiful in Roanoke. You know y'all take it for granted. Just, <laughs> Sister Emma admitted that to me. You take this place for granted. It's beautiful. The mountains and the views, absolutely outstanding. That's all right. I take the beaches for granted. We're all the same. You know, God, you ever think about God creating all that? God create, looking up in the sky and the birds flying around and the, and the sunshine and at night when you see the stars and the moon. When you think about the planets, God created all that. And the heavens, and he stretched them out. Uh, he that spread, it, spread forth the earth, and that which cometh out, of it, cometh out of it. He that giveth breath unto people upon it, and spirit to them that walk there. We serve an amazing God. We serve an amazing... Look what he's doing here. It's absolutely fantastic. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee, and give thee a covenant... Of the people for a light of the Gentiles. See, this is the new covenant. This is the everlasting covenant. And we're going to get more into this in, in, in a little while. About this new The first covenant was given to the Jews and it was very conditional. It was, if you do this, I'll do that. That's what God said. But this new covenant is, no, you've already blown it, you Jews. You've blown it. You've blown the covenant. You were weak. And we're weak. And the everlasting covenant has nothing to do with us. Only God. To open the blind eyes. To bring out the prisoners from the prison. And them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. You know, I don't think he's talking there about people who are actually blind. 
and people that are actually in bondage. So with that being said, I want to take you to Acts chapter 26. And Paul here, he's in front of King Agrippa. And he gives his account of being struck down on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 26, verse 11. Now, we already mentioned Paul, remember? We described him as a wolf. Then he went out to preach to the sheep. Amazing. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blasphemy. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven. Isn't this a great scene? One of the great stories in the Bible. Above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me, and them which journeyed with me. And when we were fallen to the, to the earth, the Lord knocked him over, knocked over Apostle Paul. I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. You know, if you persecute the people of Jesus Christ, you persecute him. But rise and stand upon thy feet. I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the, the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee. God tells Paul, I'm sending you where? To the Gentiles. To open their eyes, and to turn them from darkness to light, and from power of Satan unto God that they, might, they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. He says, listen here, Paul, I'm sending you and I'm choosing you. And let me tell you something. If God can choose Paul, a man who is persecuting his church, he can choose anybody he wants to. Never forget that. Never come into contact with someone whom you may just think is a terrible, no good loser and that there is no way that God can use him. You know, that's not true. With a blink of an eye, with a snap of a finger, God could come into that person and use that person to do his work. Isn't that something? He did it with the Apostle Paul and he was he's out there killing Christians, persecuting the church. And he said, listen, Paul, I've got a job for you. I'm sending you to the Gentiles to do what? To give them eyesight and to free them from bondage. Because they didn't know about the Lord. They didn't have the law. And God is telling Paul that you are going to give them eyesight and you are going to free them. How? By giving them the truth. And my friends, the truth will set you free and the truth will set me free. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget how important this word is. Don't ever forget how important it is that you come out as often as you can to hear the preaching of the Lord's word. To hear the truth that has been left for us by God Almighty. It will set you free. If you're in bondage, you will be released. And what I find sad is that there's a lot of Christians out there today that are still in bondage. Because they don't have the truths that we hold to this very day. 
There are Christians out there that believe that their good works have to outweigh their bad. That they have to be baptized. That they have to hear and believe and accept the gospel in order to be saved. And you know what a work system does? You know what a salvation by work system does? It places God's people in bondage. And I don't want to be in bondage. I want to be free. And that's what the truth has done for me. You know, I grew up in the Catholic Church and it was, they threaten you with hell. I tell you what, they threaten you. And it puts you in bondage. And I remember thinking to myself, where there's no possible way I could ever go to glory because of how bad I was. Because I was an outcast in Israel. And I said, there's no way I could make it. But then I heard the truth that the Primitive Baptist Church has to offer. The truth of salvation by grace. The truth that is taught right here in this book about what Jesus Christ had done for me. And you know what that did for me? Oh, it set me free. It set me free. No longer did I have to worry about my own eternal salvation because I knew, and the Lord had brought it to light, that that's all been taken care of. And now the Gentiles who were not aware of that truth, who, were bl- who they were blind and they were in bondage, were now given eyesight and they were being set free by the truth. Isaiah 49, verse 22. This is, this is a good sight. Just let me read it for you. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the Gentiles. A better day is coming. And set up my standard to the people. And they shall bring thy sons in their arms. And thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. Isn't that a great scene? You know, we went to one of the mountains over here. And it was a beautiful sight. And, you know, the kids get tired. They get tired of walking sometimes, don't they? And I had, to, I had to lift Lila up, and I had her on my shoulders, and, and we were walking around, and then I had to lift Haley up, because they get jealous of each other, you know. They both need the ride, and I lifted her up, and I'm sure you've been maybe to an amusement park, and you see the, 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 the kids that are, they get tired, and they're, they're placed on the shoulders, or you go to a ball game, and you see parents doing this for their children, and it's all well and good, that's fine, but you know, I really like to see that when it comes to the Lord's house. I like to see parents bringing their children in their arms to come and hear the gospel. You know, I've, I don't think I've yet seen someone actually coming to church with a kid on their shoulders. I'm sure the Gentiles had to walk quite a bit to, to hear the truth. You know, a lot of people before us went through extreme lengths to come out to hear the gospel preach. Aren't we spoiled? We're just spoiled. We hop in a car, we drive 10 minutes, bam, we're in church. You know, people used to walk miles and ride horses and buggies just to come out and to hear uh, the word of the Lord. And you know what? The house would be packed too, wouldn't it? But you know, we've gotten so spoiled in this country. And as Sonny Pyle used to say, it's hard to comfort the comfortable. It's hard to comfort the comfortable. But you know what? We need to be uncomfortable sometimes in our life and be aware of the sinners that we really are and come back and repay the Lord and offer our ourselves as a living sacrifice to him because of what he's done for us and how good he is because he says here plainly that a, a better day is coming for the gentiles you know and it came a better day did come and it came in the form of of jesus christ and we see how he uh, interacts with the gentiles as we go to matthew chapter 8 matthew chapter 8 
and verse 5. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came on him a centurion beseeching him. A centurion was a Roman soldier. He was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. And saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. He says, okay, I'll come and do it. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Wow, what a statement. He says, you don't have to come, Lord. He had so much faith in him, he said, just speak it, and it will be done. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say unto th to this man, go, and he goeth, and another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not so found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. Out of all the Jews, Jesus said, out of all the Jews, I have not seen so great a faith as that this centurion, this Roman Gentile, just displayed. Isn't that something? Isn't that something that we might want to keep in our minds as primitive Baptists? Can't we get high and lifted up sometimes ourselves? Because we know that we have the truth. You know, I, I believe that, that we have the truth. I believe that the old Baptist church preaches the truth that's in the Bible. You know, that's why I've, I've dedicated my life to it. And I'm not leaving the primitive Baptists. I'm not going to leave them. I love the primitive Baptists and what they stand for because they stand for what's written in this book. But I don't think we should get so high and mighty and lost and forget to exercise our faith. Because this man here, this Roman... I guarantee you, he didn't, he didn't have as much knowledge as the Jews did. But he had a great faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to remember that. There are people out there today that have a great faith in Jesus Christ that are not primitive Baptists. There are people out there that maybe are searching for the truth. And you need to, you need to tell them about the truth. You know, when I told my wife about the, the truth of the gospel... And she had gone to other, other churches in the past. And I told her about salvation by grace. You know what she said? She said, I've always believed that, but I've never heard anyone say it. Isn't that something? <laughs> you know, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of folks out there that believe the way we do, and someone needs to go and tell them about it. And say, if you want to hear more about it, come over here to Mount Olive Sunday mornings. Come out and worship with us. Jesus said, and I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. I think that is the eternal verses right there because all those men were dead and in heaven. And he says, many people shall come from the east and from the west to sit down with the Lord in glory. But the children of the kingdom, and the kingdom I think he's referring to here is this kingdom the Jews thought they were in because they were high and lifted up. and They had the law. They thought they were special. And Jesus says, But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be 
weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Isn't that amazing, the power Christ had? All he had to do was speak it, and it was done in that very hour. And you know who Jesus did that for? He did that for a Roman centurion. He did it for a Gentile. A better day was coming for the Gentiles, and it came in the form of Jesus Christ. We go to another story that's, that's of the same sort in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21. Matthew 15 and verse 21. Says and Jesus went and Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon and behold a woman of Canaan a Gentile woman came out of the same coast and cried unto him saying Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is grievously grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. Well, that's kind of rude, isn't it? Or is it? Or is Jesus behaving in a certain way to teach us all a lesson. That's what he's doing right. He's not being rude. He's not being sinful. He's not telling untruth. Jesus is behaving right now in a certain way so we could learn a lesson and for the people that were here this day could learn a lesson. But he answered her not. This woman who was begging for help, Jesus ignores her. And his disciples came and besought him saying, send her away. For she crieth after us. You know, the disciples of Jesus can just be lousy sometimes. You all know that? You know, when I came to the, to the church, I said, oh, the church is just going to be perfect. It's just going to be great. Certainly, uh, the, the, the people in the church are going to treat me better than my, my drinking buddies from back home. They're going to be kinder. They're going to be good to me. You know, that's not always true. You know, I've seen people in the church do things that my worldly, worldliest friend would never do to me. You know, you know, that's true. God help us. Let me tell you something. Just because we have the truth and you come out to worship and you believe in Jesus Christ, we always have to be on our toes. We always have to be trying to draw nearer and nearer to Jesus Christ. So this doesn't happen to us. These disciples, they're no good right now. I'll tell you what. They're no good. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Lord said, What about the Gentiles? Hmm. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. She's worshipping Christ. Christ, to what we've read so far, is trying to turn her, turn her away. He's ignoring her. The disciples want to send her away. And here she, she keeps coming. You know what she's doing? She's pressing into the kingdom right here. She's pressing into the Lord. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Woo! That's not very nice, Jesus. He essentially just called this woman a dog. She's a Gentile. It's not right for me to take uh, uh, the bread that the, uh, the Jews should be getting and cast it to a dog like you. Mm. But remember, he's, do, he's saying all this to teach us a lesson. And she said, Truth, Lord. 
Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which shall fall from the master's table. What a statement that is. This woman was so hungry to feel something spiritual, she said this, I'll just take a crumb from the master's table. Just give me a little bit. Just give me a little bit, a a little taste. You know, I wish and pray that we would all have the same attitude. That we would have it every single Sunday morning. That if the preacher could just have a moment of preaching ability that I might learn and be affected, just give me a crumb from the master's table and I'll be satisfied. And how often do we not have that attitude? I'm guilty myself. Oh, here we are, Sunday morning once again. It's the same old preacher. There's Brother Dolph. He's here again. We're going to hear another sermon. He's going to get all intellectual on us. Here we go, another lecture. You know, and it doesn't matter. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how good the preacher is. I found it with Brother Glenn, and I still think he's a great preacher. But there's been times in my life where I was just sick and tired of hearing him. And I know that's bad. And you may feel that way about Brother Dolph sometimes. You know what? Just get that out of your life. That's a lousy attitude. It's a bad attitude. We should come into the church house thinking, just give me a crumb, Lord. Just give me a piece. Just give me a piece of the gospel. Just give us a little of your spirit. Just a crumb from the master's table. And that's what this woman is saying here. Just give me a crumb. And Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Oh, a better day was coming for the Gentiles. And it came with Jesus Christ. And it came with Jesus Christ. Well, let's see how much time we have left. we got a few minutes. Okay. Let's go to Romans chapter 2. Romans 2. Boy, time flies when you're having fun, I tell you what. You know what, let me tell you something. It's fun to be a primitive Baptist. It's fun to be a Christian. It's fun to come out and worship. I love it. I love it. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. Here's the Gentiles. They do not have the word of the Lord, but yet they are doing the things that are in the law. And it says here, they are law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. This explains why Rahab was able to hide the spies. Even though she didn't have the word of the Lord, she had the word of the Lord written on her heart and in her mind. This is why the centurion was able to come to Jesus Christ. 
This is why that woman was able to come to Jesus Christ, the Gentile woman. They had not heard the gospel, so to speak, but they had it written on their hearts and on their minds. And Brother Dolph and I were talking about this earlier. If the Lord's children could just understand this concept, we'd all be better off. Go to one last place this evening. It's in Hebrews chapter 8. I preached through the book of Hebrews in Winter Garden, and boy, I just kept going back to these verses. They're, the people at home, they're so tired of these verses by now. And I hope you're not tired of them. I hope you'll hear them, hear them tonight. And it talks about, talks about the two covenants. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 7. For in that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for for the second. Remember, the first covenant it was very conditional. God said, if you do this, I'll do that. If you don't do this, I won't do that. If you do this, that's bad and it's wrong. I'm going to do this to you. It's very conditional. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. See, there was fault with the first covenant, not because of God. There was fault with the first covenant because of man. Because man could not and would not keep that covenant. So therefore, a new covenant had to be established. It's referred to as the new covenant in the Bible or the everlasting covenant. And here it is. Not according to the covenant in verse 9 that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they continued not my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind. Isn't that something? I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Do you see in that verse where man has a say-so? Does man have a say-so there? Man does not have a say-so. God here is doing all the work. He's saying, I am putting my laws in their hearts. I am putting my laws in their mind. They shall be to me a people, and I shall be to them a God. See, a shall is harder than a will, isn't it? And he says, this is happening. This is happening here. This is the everlasting covenant that was actually established before the foundation of the world. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor. In that first covenant, you should have been teaching every man his neighbor. You know why? Because if you were out there working on the Sabbath day, and you got caught, you'd be stoned to death. So would you tell your neighbor that that was the wrong thing to do? I would. I'd try to help him out. I'd try to be a good neighbor. But this is something better here. This is a new covenant. It says, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Why? Why is that the case? For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Every child, every one of the elect that is born again of the Spirit of God gets a knowledge from God about God at the new birth. And he says here, All shall know me from the least unto the greatest, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that He's merciful to our unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. 
That's salvation by grace right there. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. See, the old covenant is done. It's no more. The old worship service in the Old Testament is gone. It's been done away with. It's no more based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And remember that, that, that worship service? It had the showbread. It had uh, the, the candlestick that burned. It had the tabernacle. It had the high priest. And every single one of those things pointed directly to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came and he died and he finished the work of salvation. And the veil of the temple was rent from the top unto the bottom showing us that now it is time for you and I, my friends, to enter in and to come boldly into the throne room of grace. And the Jewish world was done away with. And that was made known to the entire world in 70 A.D. when Jerusalem was flattened. Isn't that something? And God says here, and this obviously refers to those Gentiles, because a better day was coming and it came with Christ, that I will write the laws on their hearts and in their minds. You ever think to yourself when you meet someone that's not a Christian, but they have a lot of godly characteristics? Do you ever think how strange that is? You know, and they might not come out to worship. And they should come out to worship. They might not serve Jesus Christ, but they, they should come and serve Jesus Christ. They'd have a better life. But they still display godly things that, that we read about and we do ourselves. You know why that is? It's because God has written His law on their hearts and in their minds. And, and, and this way of salvation, this teaching of salvation, covers the entire elect family of God. It covers that baby who was aborted in the womb. It covers them. It covers that, that person who was born in a vegetative state and can't walk and can't hear and can't, and can't see. But I guarantee you this, if they're a child of God, they have felt the Lord in their lives. It covers the person who lives out in the middle of nowhere where a preacher has never reached them. It covers, grace covers all the elect. It covers the, 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 the child who dies at an early age and never has a chance to accept Jesus Christ or hear the gospel. It covers him. That's why this is the good news, right? You can't beat it. That salvation is owed to Jesus Christ and to him alone. It was right in front of the Jews. It was given to them and it was given it to them plain. Those prophecies in Isaiah were as plain as day. And they, they, they didn't see it. It was given to the Jews and it was given to the Gentiles. A better day was coming and it, was, and it came with Jesus Christ and the Jews and the Gentiles. There's no division now. They could enter in all the same and worship Jesus Christ. If someone wants to turn from worshiping a false god and, and the Lord has moved them, they could come in here and worship. They're welcome. If someone's not like us, that's okay. They could come in and, and worship. All that matters is this. That they're one of the Lord's. And the Lord's people need the truth. And I'm glad that this building and this church exists to have a place and a refuge for God's people to come in here and praise Jesus Christ for what he's done for us. May the Lord bless you with these thoughts.